For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You are here because you are interested in medical cannabis. Maybe you read an article somewhere that piqued your interest. Maybe you have a friend that has been using it medicinally for some time. Whatever it might be, you've come to the right place to learn more about this amazing, amazing plant and what it offers to you in a medical capacity. And this week, I am so honored to have my dear old friend, Dr. Blair Carter, on the show. He is a wealth of information in the science around cannabis. He studies the soil that goes into growing this medicine. We go in a lot of directions. We get beautifully philosophical at different points. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode with Dr. Blair Carter. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast, and today's guest is Dr. Blair Carter. Dr. Carter is a respected agronomic executive with extensive experience in numerous professional fields and currently sits as the chief agronomy officer for Soma Rosa Farms. He holds advanced degrees and certifications in ethnobotany, depth psychology, consciousness studies, and agroecology. Blair is passionate about plant and human sciences, and a true believer in the mutually transformative relationship between cultivator and cultivar. As an entrepreneur, he is the founder of multiple state-compliant cannabis businesses in California. Dr. Carter is an expert presenter, educator, culture shaper, and negotiator, able to forge strategic partnerships and alignment across multiple organizational levels. And he's also a very old, dear friend of mine. Dr. Carter, it is an honor. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matthew. It's an honor to be here. Let's take a dive right in. You have shifted your roles in the cannabis economy lately, and sure. you're just sharing with me about how excited you are about this. And so maybe if you could take a moment to talk about where you are and where you are now. Um, yes. Yeah. No, thank you, Matthew. I it, this is an exciting time for me. It's an exciting time for the industry. It feels... It's very, I very much so can relate to this moment personally, and then also 
the industry at large in kind of nested circles of novelty, nested circles of chaos and new organizational principles needing to come in. And, you know, from a, a quick trip through history, um, the last five years have been particularly potent for me as an entrepreneur, but in particular working with cannabis. Um, about five years ago, myself and a couple key partners took an aggressive approach to opening up some dispensaries in San Francisco, as well as some cultivation facilities um, that we were able to we were able to get licenses and permits locally through San Francisco to open because we had a dispensary. And that became the foundation for what would later become NorCal Cannabis Company. You know, from that moment about five years ago to where it is today, we started scratching and clawing with two to six people uh, to the point now, which is over 1,500 employees we have a robust delivery network that at one point was doing close to 3,000 deliveries a day. There's anywhere between six operating and up to 12 eventual dispensaries, brick and mortar, that are being managed by us. And then we are doing about 120 to 130,000 square feet of, of indoor production space, inclusive of a consumer packaged goods facility that is allowing us to take true advantage of our vertical integration, everything from seed cracking to initial propagation, all the way through flour processing, packaging it into, into our individual brands, and then being able to sell both at the brick and mortar places, but also for last, file, last mile fulfillment with delivery. So you know, that was our goal. Our goal was to have a true vertically integrated company. My particular skill set was was focused on taking the company to a place where at least our cultivation ops which is where I have the most experience uh, out of any of the other aforementioned activities as a company the cultivation ops was where my specialty was and I felt that we as a company had gotten to I don't want to say the highest manifestation or the highest expression of what that indoor cultivation could be, but to a place that was very satisfactory to me, a place where I could look back and say, we are doing exemplary precision agriculture. We are extremely efficient on our, all of our inputs, both financial as well as labor, and we're crushing the game on our outputs in terms of being able to maximize what we get out from in in relation to what we're putting in and more than just bringing that to its particular uh state there was an element of i really wanted to take what i was learning from precision agriculture and you know having the the opportunity to work with agronomic professionals from israel from the central valley of california from the region you know different grow regions in holland I learned a lot of new information that, that was not previously available to me prior to the last two to four years. And so it's Can I stop whole, you for just yeah. a moment? Would you mind defining agronomics and also precision agriculture and what these terms are? Absolutely. So, you know, agronomics for the most part is the study and business of creating healthy soils and and creating healthy 
plants for production for economic purposes. And, you know, generally speaking, growing healthy soils, a consequence of that is healthy produce. And that can range from all sorts of produce. And in this particular case, we're talking about cannabis medicine. Precision agriculture is the way that I would define it is being able to have a practitioner, a cultivator, have heightened senses and skill sets for knowing how to observe, but, and this is a critical but, also having a um, a number of different metering systems to be able to draw data and analytics. So precision agriculture is both the ability to watch, observe with human faculties, but with the added benefit of metering technology and analytics. And you put those two things together and you get a lifetime look at what the plant is experiencing. Not devoid of the human subjective sensual domain that's that's critical to develop a relationship with the plant, but not that alone. You also have these analytics and uh, it makes troubleshooting go from a potential guessing game to really being able to look at, for instance, one one thing we look at with that we're gathering data on is how well are the plants transpiring? You know, if the climate is right and the vapor pressure in the environment is right, there's really no reason why the water in the substrate in the media shouldn't be moving in a natural hydrological cycle moving up through the plant and getting into the air and if it's not then something's going on there and so being able to study what's going on with transpiration really is able to tell one whether or not the plant is healthy if the stomata in the plant are doing what they're supposed to be doing um so you know other examples of metering that we're doing is we're we're analyzing for vapor pressure deficit we're analyzing temperature relative humidity we're looking at volumetric water content in the substrate. We're looking at the electrical conductivity, the, the amount of dissolved solids that are present in the substrate. And then we also, outside or in greenhouses, we have weather stations that are analyzing what's going on with the exterior climate. Because even in a greenhouse, even though it's separated from the outdoor environment, the radiation of that greenhouse is in direct relationship to what's going on with the temperatures and the environment outside. What I, what I want to emphasize here is that precision agriculture allows you to look at the data that is being expressed by all the myriad relationships that are in a growing environment. And it's hard without the data to be able to get a clear picture of what's going on and to be able to make precise judgments on what needs to happen. And precision agriculture is having that data, being able to have informed observations that can then later dictate your nutrient recipes, your watering programs, um, all of the mechanical equipment that's being used to adjust the climate and, and uh, make the environment conducive for the best growth. All of that is dictated and accelerated by having precision analytics involved in the growing environment. Yeah, it's fascinating. Does that help? Absolutely. That, okay. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. So why have you decided to move away from that environment and put yourself into a new one? Well, the, I, I like hybrids. You know, being that you and I went to a grad school that studied Jung, Carl Jung at, you know, ad nauseum, um, 
we learned the benefit of the conjunctio oppositorum to take things that are seemingly opposite and to conjoin them because there's a lot of creative energy there. And I've been excited about taking what we're learning from indoor growing environments where you have careful control and precision over what's going on in the environment and to take some of that and apply it to conventional and conventional organic agriculture. And, you know, essentially the blend that I'm going for now is to practice open field conventional agriculture blended with open field hydroponics. There are a few things that I cannot do. Like I cannot adjust the climate. That's, you know, nature's dictating that. However, I can have weather stations that allow me to be responsive to what's going on in the environment and have feedback loops between my metering and my controls that are responsive to what's going on in the environment. And that's, that's particularly challenging, but also fascinating to me um, to have something that, that has some variation and to have some equipment that will allow for subtle or even not so subtle changes in our growing techniques to, um, to accommodate for that variation. That's what's one thing that's exciting. Another, I'm excited to be outside. I'm excited to see what we can do with these plants. The, the sun exhibits, you know, at plant level, anywhere between 2,500 plus micromoles of light at the plant level throughout the give, multiple parts of the day, um, especially like around high noon. Inside, it's very difficult with traditional horticultural lighting to get above a thousand micromoles without the added radiative heat that comes off of a high pressure sodium bulb. And what you don't get with the sun is that sort of toxic radiation. And because you're able to get higher light levels without the associated radiation, the chlorophyll doesn't burn. The plants are allowed to continue to transpire the leaf surface temperature doesn't become so great. I like to call it like the, when a plant gets a fever and the leaf surface temperature is hotter than it should be, things start to shut down. They don't transpire as well. The stomata tend to close up or they open wide open. They're not moving plant. They're not moving water. And if the leaf is not hydrated, then the chlorophyll is not hydrated. And then things like light actually become toxic and a pollutant. And the chlorophyll starts to burn up and, you know, you and I have worked with cannabis before. You know what it looks like when a plant is sick and uh, not growing. So I'm excited to be able to participate and experiment with these plants to give them a healthy diet in the soil. You know, we're tending the soil to make sure that they're eating well, but also to be maximizing their growth potential with targeted and I will say this, targeted and sustainable amounts of fertilizer so that they're getting the best of a slow, mood, slow food movement in the soil for bioavailability of nutrients. And at the same time, they're getting direct available nutrition through our fertigation system. I'm excited to see what happens when I put those two things together. So it would speak to a slow food movement when it, in regard to plants. You know, if you if you're familiar with the slow food movement, it's you know it's really eating whole foods, foods that are nutritious for you. you know, ultimately, 
they're grown with careful time. They're eaten with careful time. They're digested. And if you have the right biotic community in your stomach, you're able to digest that food and absorb and get the most out of it, right? And when I think of healthy soils, I think of a slow food movement in the soil. There's a healthy biotic community. There's a fair amount of organic material. And there's food for both the soil and that bio community. And when they're being fed, they eat the organic matter. Their castings become readily available biological food for the plants. And you know, organic agriculture, you're really growing soil. And plants are the consequence of you growing soil. In indoor environs where you're just growing plants, you can have completely inert soilless media and the plants are being direct fed almost like electrolytes and there's no soil involved. When you're planting into the earth, you're working with a pretty dynamic media that is being held together by different aggregates, clay, sand, um, constituents that are non-organic. And there also needs to be a healthy um, amount of, of humus matter in there, of organic matter, to allow for the, the soil to be have good porosity. And all the different pores in there allow for surface area for the biology to aggregate and, and create communities. So healthier soils hold better water. They drain better, which I know there's a, an oxymoron there, but they hold better water. They also provide better drainage. Um, and they provide lots of surface area for microorganisms, you know, everything from as small as bacteria to moving your way up through fungi to different protozoa and different soil animals, a teeming life force of energy that ultimately is tending and continuing to build that soil. And all of the castings of those of that life force is a, is a tremendous nutritional source for the plants. You know, that hybrid, which I'm trying to go for, which I mentioned earlier, it's really important that I'm tending that balance because I don't want to be adding fertilizers in a way that negates or neglects that soil community because I could quickly salinize the earth, the local plot of earth that we're farming in. So to be able to have a balance where you maintain a metabolic community of organisms and at the same time are providing a advanced source of nutrition so they're getting the plants are getting that slow food movement of a healthy soil biology, but also getting, you know, the acceleration and uh, advanced benefits from a fertilizer program. That's the balance. I don't have all the answers for it. I'm going to run into problems, um, but that's where the analytics comes in. You know, I need to have electrical conductivity meters. I need to be studying the leachate. I need to be watching what's going on at different layers in the soil looking at the matrix potential of the soil, meaning like how much water can be held while it's to, to be able to maintain that water level horizontally and being able to be moved vertically through transpiration prior to it being oversaturated and, and sinking and moving down. So that matrix potential, the EC, the, the water content, all of that needs to be watched and analyzed so that I can see, are we getting overabundance of, 
certain items, you know, in particular overabundance of salts that would be creating an imbalance in the community. So how do you see this playing out in the long run if in the fruition of this plant growing its flower to its end point and it being medicine for a patient down the road? Do you see this kind of balance and this hybrid that you're working with as potentially a greater, I don't know, greater efficacy coming from the end product because of it? I do. I think that, you know, there's a bigger, there's a bigger dialogue here, which is how to advance agricultural practices so that you have farmers that are aware, conventional farmers that are aware how to treat the soil. So they prevent, uh, they prevent um, salinization, but also being able to maximize every square foot of their production space. So, you know, how this relates to cannabis, I ultimately, we want to be doing what all repetitive patterns, functional patterns in the universe do, which is to be able to maximize surface area for production or for relationship within a finite amount of space. We, we need to be doing that with our farmlands. We need to be doing that with cannabis agriculture. We want to maximize our productivity in, in finite amounts of space. And if, if we can do that, we can increase our outputs, right, without neglecting through specific inputs and returning the surplus of organic matter to where we're pulling from, namely the soil. You know, the, the ultimate goal here is to form a positive relationship with the earth that we're tending and be able to produce as much of a given crop out of that that space as possible. You know, so when a, you say how, if go ahead. Okay, I was going to say this this full circle, right? And and so often in the cannabis industry, especially specifically the medical cannabis industry, we talk about the seed to the patient, but it goes further beyond that. This circle is much bigger than that, and it actually starts with the microbiota of the soil and creating the soil. So it really goes from the soil to the patient that we need to be expanding our own perspective and the way that we're viewing this medicine. I think what you just said could be applied to everything that humans consume. It all starts with soil, even though hydroponics with inert media, we're using inert media and we're using salt-based fertilizers uh, in order to, to achieve rapidly growing carbon and flowers there's probably a philosophical argument in there where we're not removing ourselves from the the carbon cycle and uh, but for things that are grown in soil and things that we eat things that we consume there is definitely an argument for educating patients educating consumers on the importance how the the, you got to start with the soil you don't have healthy soil it's it's hard to mimic health at any one stage in in the process. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a fascinating topic. Um, so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and get put on your entrepreneur and business hat. And so I'm curious about this scaling process that you had to go through and going from like you said two to six people kind of scraping things together all the way up to a fifteen hundred person monster. Well, well. I don't have much to compare it to because you have an emerging market 
which is cannabis industry, which which is brand new, required brand new regulations, required brand new infrastructure. The entire thing was learning through trial and error, including the individuals that are starting companies. So the company is learning how to fly an airplane while building it at the same time, while the local municipalities are flying an airplane that they're building at the same time, while the industry itself is flying an airplane that they're building at the same time. And maybe I've heard it described as a rocket ship. So that the two things are happening concurrently and it created, I don't want to say it's past tense because it's still happening. Uh, but it created a situation of what I would refer to as constant state of triage. And, you know, there's a tremendous need to stay agile and adaptive throughout the process because, you know, you run into all sorts of, of things where one day you have one set of parameters that define how you're going to achieve your goal. And, the next day, either a change in the industry orientation or something with utilities. I mean, any number of things could change and you have to pivot. And that constant state of having to adapt and adjust, uh, while there's incredible economic sensitivities to all of that, was really challenging to work with. I mean, I'll give you one example. We... Uh, had a building and we had two buildings in San Francisco that needed power upgrades and power upgrades are a pretty bureaucratic process that involves local municipalities, but also the independent you know, energy company, which happened to be PG&E and PG&E will redirect power to other businesses. If an individual business is not using the total allotted power that they've been, they've been engineered for. And oftentimes they do this without, notifying building owners or new businesses and so we went in thinking that we had a total amount of power in which we only had a fraction of that we didn't find out until we turned the rest of the building on and we were moving into a you know scaling up into an additional 70 percent of production out of this one location and the day that we flipped it on we were all quite excited uh we blew the transformer in the street and found out that we had to wait nine months to get an energy upgrade to accommodate for our power need. And we didn't account, we didn't account for nine months of downtime. So nor did we account for the costs associated with the power upgrade. Now that's one of many, many examples where there was a lot of the road became clear upon walking. So every step you put in front of your you're engaging new challenges and um, but the challenges aside, the, the act of, of like joining together with other creative minds and entrepreneurial spirits and recruiting talent to build an organism that can withstand challenges that can build and adhere to a mission and a vision that can create a culture that, ultimately is providing sustenance for people's families and themselves as individuals. That was a lot of fun. You know, I, it's one of the things that I really enjoy about being a business owner is being able to build something special that has a common goal 
and being able to inspire people enough to rally around that central purpose. And then in turn, that central purpose feeding everybody that's involved. Granted, there was plenty of dysfunction. Granted, our biggest challenge was communication. And, you know, we were not bereft of the normal challenges that most businesses have. And we didn't have all the resources to solve all of them. But for the most part, it was an extraordinary experience that's continuing to this day. While I've taken my my day-to-day engagement to another company, I'm still actively involved with NorCal and looking back, you know, reflecting on what it's been like to to build that company is you know it was one of the more challenging and rewarding experiences of my life for sure. Oh, beautiful, and that dovetails dovetails nicely into um, you were speaking to the discovery of a relationship between cannabis and humanity. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, I said often to everybody in our company, I wanted to remind everyone that we were participating in what arguably is the next phase in the co-evolutionary relationship between cannabis and humans. Uh, every step of the way from the people that are tending the soil, the people that are that are um, growing the plants, the people that are processing and harvesting, the people that are packaging, the people that are selling, and the, the people that are d- distributing and delivering, everybody in that chain is participating in the next phase or the next chapter of this co-evolutionary relationship we've had with cannabis that goes back at least for hominid history, you know, 12,000 plus years, we have evidence to show that cannabis is probably our oldest, if not um, at least one of our oldest cultivars. Um, We've been planting cannabis for good reason because, you know, people speak of a panacea, a cure-all. It's a panacea is a bit of a mythical thing, you know, something of myth that you can find in something that provides a cure for everything. And it would seem out of the gates, that would be a fool's errand to find something like that. But the closest thing I know that we've ever encountered as, as a, as a human culture that's come to that is cannabis, you know, from a textile, from, a material source, a food source, a medicinal source, a source of fiber, and then take it beyond the medicine from an aleopathic or healing sense and go into the more psycho-spiritual element. You know, for it to be able to address and hit all of these, check all of these boxes is pretty remarkable. And also gives one a very obvious sense of like, well, how is it that we have this deep relationship with this plant? Well, when it's checking all of those boxes, right, it's bound to have caught the attention of our hominid ancestry in any one of those number of ways. And then quickly when the relationship is there, the realization comes that, oh, this thing is hitting all sorts of or addressing and I'm experiencing all sorts of interaction with this plant in multiple different ways. You know, personally, I feel that the earth itself is, is a organism of nested systems that communicate with each other in various ways. While there is individual species, there, are, there is interspecial relations between them that by necessity, because of the ecology we live in, that nested systems requires communication and 
in the same way that you and I are communicating with each other through our vocal cords and our ears and our human faculties, plants communicate to each other through hormones. Well, what's the interspecial communication going to be like? How will that be achieved? Well, it tends to be through communion, the actual ingestion of that plant. And very much so if, if the planet as an organism, whether by intent or just creative happenstance, I don't know, there isn't anything that would suggest otherwise that when I ingest cannabis or any of the other psychotropic plants that are on the planet that have specific alkaloid structures that engage, you know, interact with my brain in such a way that I have an altered state that gives me access, interior access to that plant's experience. To me, there's everything to suggest that the ingestion of cannabis becomes a local local source for me to be able to dive into vegetal consciousness, for me to be able to dive in to having communication with other than human species, to amplify that communication. And, you know, from cannabis to ayahuasca to these other psychotropic medicines, it's one of the under-talked about pieces of that communion is that you know we're not just having a psychedelic experience we're actually engaging with other layers of intelligence and to me there's enough to suggest that when studies are done that show that 80 percent of botany students when asked how they got into botany 80 percent of them tell tell the instructor or professor that it's because they smoked weed well Who's to say that cannabis isn't playing this alluring role of drawing human consciousness into vegetal consciousness to give it a greater sense of understanding and if not also belonging with the entire earth community. And cannabis has inspired so many people, myself included, to learn about botany, to learn about the science of plants, the science of soil. It's like one begets the other. It's a bit of a domino effect. One thing, one simple Communion opened up a world of possibilities and um, information that wasn't readily available to my senses previously, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's beautiful. And what really gets me, too, is the fact that our own endocannabinoid system that we have within ourselves, yeah. it we can trace it back nearly 40 million years in mammalian species where they also had an ECS. So it gets really fascinating philosophically. It's like, so the seed was planted 40 million years ago. That's 39,800,000 years before a human even came around. Yes. For us to be able to have this interaction with our own consciousness, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to play around with. It's profound. I want to draw on that too. I mean, it's, it's as if we, anything with a spine was predisposed to have the relationship with cannabis, right? And, you know, there are other plants that have cannabinoids in them, but none that have the amount that cannabis does. You know, there's up to like 133. There may be more that we don't know about. And of those 133, we only know of what is possible in our relationship with, with a select few of them. And, you know, something to, to, to um, emphasize here, which I think is remarkable, is we didn't know about the endocannabinoid system in our own human biology, in our own neurology. We didn't know about it except by studying cannabis. And so from 
it's very poetic. It's like we dive deeper into cannabis and we found a mirroring reflection of our own neurology and that we didn't know about previously. So, and that's Dr. Rafael Mishulam. Um, and there's, and I'm embarrassed that I don't know the, the name offhand of the, the female scientist that he worked with. Forgive me for that. Uh, the two of them discovered this endocannabinoid network. And it's only with you know a few decades ago that that realization came about, and we did it by diving deeper into learning about cannabis. And you know that's pretty cool. It's like we get to learn about our own individual evolution by diving deeper into the science of cannabis. It's, it's fascinating. It's wonderful. Oh, and the endorphin system too was discovered because of studying the opium poppy. So the plants teach us about ourselves. Well said. Consistent. There it is. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right, let's see. Let's let's bounce around a little bit. And I want to uh, talk about this blending of sensual engagement with the advanced analytics. What? Yeah. How are you as a human being using all of this data that you're able to have now with your advanced analytics? How are you still engaging? How are you using that that sensory Good. relationship? Well, I think I think data can can tend to be blandly numerical if you don't provide the sensual context of the relationship behind it. And so for instance, our practitioners, our, our cultivators, it's very important to me that they both understand how to read graphs and how to understand the numbers of the data that's, that's coming to them. But it's equally important that they understand the relationships that are involved. Right. So, you know, if we're looking at volumetric water content, for instance, it's something as simple as, you know, if you're looking at VWC percentages on a graph, it's good for that same cultivator to be able to feel and pick up a pot that the VWC is saying it's pretty saturated versus what does it feel like when the dryback has gone down all the way to, you know, you're at 15% volumetric water content. You know, it's good to feel what that feels like because, you know, meters, things that are metering for us, they fail from time to time. So, you want to be able to have a checks and balances to be able to verify with human senses and observation as much as you're pulling data. I also think that the senses are liaisons of, of the relationship between ourselves and other, especially with plants. So engaging the senses through observation is critically important. They can, at times, especially when you get the creative intuition involved, they can lie to us. You know, that's why it's good to have something to verify what you're observing through data. And I really see the two as having a woven synergy between them. You know, you don't want to forego basic human observation just for numbers and graphs. And at the same time, you don't want to just be listening to your own senses. You want it, it's nice to have something to verify your suspicions and observations, especially if you need to make a decision, you want that decision to be as informed as possible. Absolutely. And I always like to think about that in the moment of harvest. And there's a certain amount of data that we can take in and we can look under a microscope and, and see what those trichromes are looking like. And, yep. and are they ready? Are they not? But it ultimately comes down to, I always felt like it came down to listening to the plants. And they would say when they were ready to be harvested. Yeah. And I like what you, you say, listening. And some people would hear that and be like, oh, that's it's a really new age woo-woo concept. But, you know, when you say listening, I hear you say, 
I'm paying attention to the plants. And when you're paying attention, you're listening to them. You're, you're not necessarily getting an audible response from them. Absolutely. Exactly. It's, yeah. You're getting everything. Your, 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 your uh, sense of smell is engaged. Your sense of sight is engaged. Your sense of touch. The whole thing is engaged with the process when you're listening to understand when, when it's ripe and it's ready for harvest. Yeah, for sure. This has gone beautifully philosophical as I hoped it would with you, my man. Uh, what else would you like to talk about? Is there anything else you want to share about that's exciting you right now and your new adventures? You know, I think that, that I want to, I want to pay some gratitude to cannabis. You know, we were talking about this cannabis being, I'm going to echo uh, Terrence McKenna here, a local concrescence of the Guyan world imagination, right? You know, it's like, it is a local expression of something that I can engage with or we can engage with to gain a deeper sense of plants in general, but also a deeper sense of, of the earth community, you know, and our, the, the relationships that are there, which to me develops a greater sense of personal belonging when, um, when you feel like you belong to, nested systems of interrelationship it's a lot more comfy and homey than feeling isolated and uh especially in these times right now where we're sheltering in place you know understanding having a systems perspective for what's going on on the planet can provide at least some context to put this sense of isolation in so that it doesn't feel i don't know what the word I'm looking for is because context is important because it allows, allows us to see that there's a greater organismic process going on than just our individual human lives and politics. But what, what I was getting at is, you know, I want to offer some gratitude. It's important to, to mention my gratitude for cannabis because not only am I, is it deemed an essential business, which allows me to continue working which allows me to continue taking care of my family. But beyond this moment right now, so much of what I have developed as a passion in my personal life, I owe to my study of and relationship with cannabis. And that is not just an individual experience. That's something that I experience with an entire community of people. And that plant has evolved me as a human being. It's given me a greater sense of of uh, purpose in this life and really advanced both my passion as well as the depth of any any understanding that I have of science it I owe gratitude and I can very much so trace that all the way back to my relationship with cannabis and that is profound and it's worth it's worth uh, emphasizing and it is not infallible the whole thing is wrought with making mistakes the whole thing is wrought with trials and errors. The human relationship with cannabis itself is has been plagued with various chapters of acceptance and taboo. The taboo often requiring people to be discreet and clandestine to avoid incarceration. Uh, we're not that far from those chapters and those gray areas. And Indeed, many places are still living with that fear that to develop this relationship with cannabis also comes with one, a threat to one's civil liberties. This is a, it's a dynamic relationship. And 
I know you look at the whole thing from 10,000 feet. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. And I'm very grateful to be in a position. It's an extreme privilege to be in a, a position to say, I love what I'm doing. I'm able to the best of my ability within, uh, within reason, take care of my family. And, uh, you know, that is especially amplified right now with this pandemic that we're going through. Definitely. Definitely. So often, and especially on this show with the people I interview, we're speaking to cannabis as a medicine, as a physical medicine that is able to abate certain symptoms, but we can expand that so much further. And the gratitude that you show is just an expression of that, I feel, because this is abating symptoms of disconnection, abating yes. symptoms yes. Of, of mental maladies, you know, all these different things that cannabis has a healing capacity towards. It's, it's beautiful. And I, and I thank you for you. And I thank you for your relationship to cannabis and all the things that you've taught me over the years, which I couldn't possibly begin to count. Right on, brother. Well, Likewise, my friend, this is a pleasure. It's a pleasure to see your smile. I love what you're doing with this show and uh, anything that I can do to support it, I'm excited to do. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you've certainly supported it today and brought an incredible perspective that we haven't heard yet. And so grateful to you, Blair. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode with my dear friend, Dr. Blair Carter. You know, we went to graduate school together about 15 years ago in San Francisco, and I, I couldn't be more proud of how far this man has come, how much wisdom he imparts to so many people on such a regular basis. He is a beautiful human, inside and out, brilliant to his core, an amazing family man. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed being able to talk to my friend in this capacity. And thank you again for being a listener of the show. If you have some time, please go and take a moment and rate the show. Let us know what you think. Let us know if there are other guests that you'd like to see. I read each and everything that you put on there. And until next time, folks, be well. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening. <laughs>